Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Wednesday, everybody. How y'all doing? I wanted to uh, use the beginning of the show to do a midweek check-in, so we're going to do that. But before we do, let's do a little housekeeping. Lovelines podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. So go on over there, check out past episodes. But we got a great show planned for you. So I'm glad you're with us. Stick around. We're going to be talking about the power of napping, which is something that I never was into that. I wasn't raised in a family where that was something that was really done. So I was never really made aware that that was an option, you know. But napping is something really powerful for us, for our mental health and our physical health. So we'll be talking about that. Also talking about harm reduction in terms of drug and alcohol use ways to work towards happiness and finally old school love line style i'm gonna be dropping some sex tips on you so definitely stick around for that as always question of the night is up on our love line ig page so weigh in on that and we'll be doing some dms but like i said i wanted to uh start the show by just saying look midweek even if this isn't the middle of your week let's use wednesday as an anchor point to just really pause focus on ourselves and say hey how am i doing this week with self-care right Got a lot of week left, got a lot of the day left, or at least tomorrow. How can I center self-care? Because remember, it's always about the big trifecta. Self-care, joy and pleasure, and rest. Build those three things into every single day. And if your day doesn't have the ability to build those three things in, then it is not centered in mental health. And there's so many easy ways to do those three things. Again, it's self-care, joy and pleasure, and rest. Sometimes something kind of wraps up in uh, all three of them. Also, just reminding you that we are still in the middle of a pandemic, so still stay home, still avoid crowds and people. If you're gonna be around people, do it outdoors, six feet apart for a short period of time with your mask, but I still want people to socialize. So what that means is make sure every day you're connecting with people. I would love for it to be at least three people, whether you're FaceTiming, texting, calling, meeting outside for a few minutes with a mask or going for a walk with them separated. It's still really important. It's still gonna keep us grounded and distracted, but it kind of reminds us that we're not, we're not alone in the world. There's some people that are getting a little too comfortable, familiar with uh, solitude and it's not really working for them. And they're forgetting that, look, we're in a pandemic, but you can still be finding alternative and diverse ways to connect with people. I think it's still a great time for people to be on the apps trying to date and build romance into their life if that's something they're looking for. I don't agree that now is not the right time for that. It, it is. We all want companionship right now, maybe. We want the distraction, the, the pleasure that a new person built into your life can bring. So go on dates, FaceTime dates, phone dates, sext, text, meet them outside with your mask and go for a walk. We can still be fully participating in those components of our lives. In fact, I want you to. It's enhancing, right? Day, the days are hard enough right now. Add a little fun and joy in that way. 
So that's part of the check-in, right? So it's not just the self-care, the joy and pleasure and the rest, but some of that romance can be part of that or the socialization, but nonetheless, three people a day, if you can, in some way, check in and connect to remind them, to remind yourself that they're there, but also they might need it. There's a lot of people that are really lonely and it's important and meaningful just to have someone be like, hey, quick text, thinking about you. That's all you got to do sometimes. And it means a lot, right? Because as we always say, the whole question I'm wanting everyone to ask each other, right, is how's your mental health? Because in reaching out and texting someone, just like in saying to someone, how's your mental health versus just how are you? We're letting them know, like, I'm here for you. And if you need more, you can maybe ask that. I may be one of those people that can kind of be part of helping you get what you need and what you want. Like I care. And that's why, again, I want people to be saying, how's your mental health? Not just how are you? Because that's a different orientation. And I want us to get familiar connecting. I want us to get familiar talking in those terms. It's still too foreign to far too many of us to have someone say, I've been depressed or I'm anxious. And that doesn't mean they need a solution or a fix, which is also part of this, right? When you say like, I've been kind of depressed or kind of lonely, people sometimes jump right in to fix. No, just listen. Just say, "Um, tell me more about that. Or that's really hard to hear. Just be present in it, you know? But it's about letting people know that we're a safe space. We're someone who can handle that, wants to be there in that way. And uh, we start to kind of build that relationship. But if you're, you know, in relationships that don't really have space or safety for that, try to start to build that in. How can we be more vulnerable in that way? Because if we're not able to talk truly, honestly, and authentically about what we're going through, whether we're sad, depressed, lonely, anxious, angry, isolated, then your relationship to that person lacks depth and intimacy. If we can't talk about those things, that's some of the most important things to talk about. It's not being negative. It's being real and honest. And we're all going to have those feelings. And we want to have relationships where we can actually embody that. Otherwise, it's superficial, it's topical, and it's fake. It's just not real. We don't always have to drop into that with everyone, but we want to be able to with some people in our lives. You know, otherwise it can lead to trauma, disconnection. Like I said, just it's not real. So now's the time that we can start to build those kinds of relationships. And relationships are flexible. They're malleable. Just because you don't have that doesn't mean you can't forge that with someone. So if there's people that you wish you had that with, start to make that more familiar. Start to try to relate to them in that way. All of that's improvable and changeable, right? It's the whole basis of therapy. So create that. But this is the midweek check-in. Start to reorient and create the rest of your week and make your weekend the ways that you want them to be, rooted in all those important things and centering your mental health. Uh, All right, coming up next, we're gonna talk about drug and alcohol use and harm reduction, which is more of the perspective and model that we wanna start moving towards. And then we're gonna be talking about the importance of napping. I know, something I built more into my life. It's been powerful for me. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about drugs. I know, everyone has a different relationship to it. One of the things I was worried about during COVID is the misuse of drugs and alcohol. All different ways that we can cope and self-soothe and kind of check out from the different stressors or you know aggravating things that are going on in our lives. I'm all about using anything that has a beneficial impact on you. But we wanna look at things like alcohol and drug use that often can exacerbate and make worse whatever it is we're struggling with or it's, you know, something that further complicates. So really, again, check in on the relationship that you're having with drugs and alcohol throughout this time of uh, pandemic and election stress 
And just make sure that, you know, the coping and forms of self-care that you are choosing are having an enhancing impact on you, right? Because self-care is only things that um, have a neutral to positive impact on you. The word care, right? It's about caring for self. And that can mean setting boundaries, saying no, turning off your phone, leaving a bad relationship. But it also sometimes just means time to yourself. Um, So anyway, but the reason why I brought this up is because we really saw a huge shift in the election of uh, how we're going to now move forward looking at drugs and alcohol. So let's talk about Montana, legalized marijuana. South Dakota, legalized marijuana. Mississippi, they are legalizing medicinal cannabis. South Dakota, legalized medicinal cannabis. Oregon, psilocybin. Psilocybin, I always struggle to say that word. Psychedelics in a therapeutic use are now legalized in Oregon. A lot of great studies showing use of ketamine, uh, microdosing, uh, all sorts of different uh, things that have a beneficial impact. And we're now getting more research and studies done on it, helping some people heal trauma. Now, I'm going to land with the, the really big one, but Arizona legalized marijuana, D.C. decriminalized psychedelics. Difference between decriminalization and legalization is that legalization actually leads to a lot of institutional, federal, or state control. Criminal, uh, decriminalization means it's not going to be something that they're going to seek out to prosecute, uh, prosecute. So big differentiation there. And then New Jersey also legalized marijuana use. Now, Oregon is the place that really blew us away. Oregon has decriminalized uh, all drug use, essentially. What they've done is they've decriminalized the use of hard drugs. Now, some people are saying, well, why would that be a beneficial thing? And I want to tell you, it's a hugely beneficial thing. And that's why it passed. Because what we've done traditionally is we've taken people that are possibly addicted to drugs, maybe just an adult who's choosing to use drugs, which you get to decide what happens in your life. It's health policing to tell someone that their life has to be centered in health. It doesn't. It's your choice. And basically what they're saying is if someone has an issue with drugs, we want them to go get treatment, not go to jail. Jail is not treatment. Jail is not rehabilitative. Jail is not anything that's transformative or restorative. Jail has nothing but negative outcomes on someone going to jail or prison for drugs. We want people to feel safe coming forward and getting the help they need. And if someone gets in trouble because of drugs, again, jail is not the path that's going to help them get their life back. Treatment is. Treatment or therapy. And we want people to be able to do that. I also just want people to have free will. And if someone wants to use drugs sometimes on the weekend, that's their call. That shouldn't be something that's made illegal right? That's a personal impact that we get to decide. So this is really great. And as you're seeing, all the states are finally falling in line. The question becomes though, you know, as we legalize things like marijuana, will we set free those that have been put in jail because of it? Now that we're realizing, well, there's a better path. Do we set everyone free that had an issue? I hope so. Um, There's no reason for them to be in jail for having been arrested for selling or having marijuana. Come on, you know, there's so many better routes to go. So we'll see what happens. But I'm all for us in the psychology field studying the positive impacts that uh, psilocybin and microdosing of other things can have. Uh, ketamine use, as I said, has been something that's been really well documented and researched. So a lot more to come from that. But um, yeah, we got to be more open-minded as a culture. And so if nothing else, I think that's something really beneficial that came out of this election. I think also what's really beautiful about it is it starts to walk us toward needed changes in terms of drug and alcohol treatment, which is also about a harm reduction model. Not everyone should have the expectation of getting uh, completely abstinent from drugs and alcohol. Not everyone needs to. And for those that are able to find a better way to use drugs and alcohol, I want that to be available to them. Uh, A lot of treatment programs, the problem is they say things like, you know, we offer individualized care, but then they don't. 
if everyone's going to the same groups and everyone's forced to go to a 12-step program, your treatment program is not individualized. That's actually the exact opposite of what the definition means. Individualized care means everyone is getting a specific treatment plan that's tailored to their needs, which means not everyone's going to the same groups and not everyone's going to a 12-step program. Um, so check that. And if you're putting someone in a treatment center, ask questions like that. Is it actually individualized care? Can you explain to me what that looks like? Number two, are the people that are working or doing therapy licensed therapists? Some treatment centers have people that are not licensed therapists running the therapy groups and doing individual therapy. That is why we have a lot of problems. We're not getting the trauma work that they need, et cetera, et cetera. So also ask the treatment centers, do you have a licensed therapist doing the therapy? Um, those are two of the most important questions you can ask. Is the care individualized? that treatment. And then also this whole thing is harm reduction, something that they're willing to work on. When someone relapses, it's a sign that they need to be in treatment, not the opposite, but people get kicked out. Imagine if I kicked out of treatment, someone who's depressed, but is getting treated for depression, but they are depressed still. Should I treat them out Should I kick them out and be like, you're not ready? No, that's showing that they need to be there. So when some relapses on drugs and alcohol, that's a sign that they really need to be in treatment and getting care, not kicked out and booted. So we need a lot more shift around the way the treatment centers are operating, but I'm really glad that legislatively around punishment and incarceration, those changes are finally happening. All right, time to take a break. <laughs> when we come back though, we're gonna talk about the importance of napping, which is something that's always been a little bit beyond me. I'm trying to get more into that. You are listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, anyone that's been following my social media or listening to my show, I'm Listening Live, which let's do a little plug. I'm Listening Live is every Thursday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on all the radio.com handles. Check it out. Um, I'm always talking about how we need to rest more. <laughs> and that's been hard for me because I'm someone who's really primed to always be doing something activity-based or productive. And I started to realize that I needed to relax more, rest more. And I've dated people that were nappers, and that was something that never made sense to me. I wasn't raised in a family where we napped. And I, and I think sometimes that's part of it. You're raised in a family where people are modeling that for you, <laughs> recommending that, sometimes really pushing you towards that. But like I said, I've dated people that have been into napping, and I was just always kind of like, what's that about? I'm trying to get more into it. Why? Well, napping has a lot of really positive benefits, right? Especially mental health wise. Um, I don't like talking about the benefits of something in terms of productivity because that's not what resting is about. So we can go be more productive. Resting has, has worth just in and of itself. And the point of resting is to rest. The point of resting is to be more present in joy and pleasure in our lives. So first thing is, you know, the effects of naps throughout the day, you know, they increase alertness, Okay, they make us feel grounded. They soothe our nervous system. They're good for our immune functioning. Um, and this is something that can also help us with our sleep cycle. Some people fall right into bed at night. That's actually a bad sign if you are so depleted and exhausted that you literally just pass out on the couch or crash into your bed. Not a good sign. Um, now, part of it's also your ability and willingness to nap is actually also a good barometer for how much you might need to take breaks, for how much you might need to kind of lean out of having so many things on your to-do list, right? The inability, the, unwilling, the unwillingness to just take time to sit still and be with yourself is sometimes also a way that we really try to avoid having deep, full emotional experiences. Some people spend their entire day running from themselves, never leaving a moment 
where they're left to feel or think. Now, what's wild is now that we have cell phones, you'll notice that some of those forced moments like waiting in line, now we're using our phones. Even in those moments, we just don't have a willingness to be present with ourselves. I even see it when people are sitting for a traffic light. How long is a traffic light, right? Four minutes max? three, and people will even start looking at their phone in that small gap of time. It's such a fear of silence. It's such a fear of being fully in our bodies. And it's really backing us away from having the capacity to deal with downtime and boredom and discomfort. And I was talking about this on I'm Listening Live with uh, Dr. Doreen Dodgen McGee. We were just talking about the role of technology on mental health and our relationships and how we've talked about this on Loveline. Often we'll use technology as a way to really buffer between us and a partner and our partners are not feeling like as though we're fully connected or present and that's because we're not. We're on our laptops while we're talking, we're on our phone while we're talking, we've talked extensively and I also talk on I'm Listening about this as well, the myth of multitasking and how it's not really efficient nor is it making you really deeply present with anything and the transition time between two things also reduces your presence and your competency. But we were talking about how even when people are watching television, even that level of distraction stimulation isn't enough. And people will even grab their phone to scroll just aimlessly while also watching television. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'll see these moments where people are present with things that have a lot of stimulation and they're still adding some swiping and scrolling. It's really wild. And you don't see many moments where people are just disconnected from everything. And that's when like meditation comes in. For some people, that is the only time when they're truly present because at nighttime they're on the couch eating and then pass out. It's fascinating. So if nothing else, just track how often in a day are you without something in your hands, without some kind of visual stimuli, and how often throughout your day you're allowing, allowing yourself to just sit. And we make fun of it and have jokes. I, I'll sit outside at a coffee shop sometimes, which is where I like to go to work, to write, to read, to research. And you'll see people just sitting there, a coffee in their hand, sitting outside, staring off at nothing. They're not reading, they're not watching something, they're not listening to something, they're not talking to anyone. And it's so foreign and it seems so strange, but there's something so honest and beautiful about that. They're just there. What are they doing? A lot. In, their, in, in what looks like a nothing is a lot. They're listening, they're looking, they're feeling, they're thinking. It's really, really, really wild. And it throws people off and people will do a double take. Like this person can't possibly just be doing nothing. But there was a time when that was something that was more familiar, more comfortable for us. But God, technology has really taken us away from that. So interesting to track. All right, y'all, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So wait on that. Coming up next, though, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. DMs come from, as it sounds like, our Loveline IG page. So if you have a question for me, drop it in those DMs. We answer all questions, sex, relationships, psychology, mental health, family, children, all of it, body positivity, sex positivity. All right, y'all, coming up next, though, DMs. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Devin and I've been dating this guy, Michael, for about six years. Well done. It's a good length of time. He's incredible and I love him. Aw. We've lived together for about two, but I would say in the last six months, he's starting to be distant. He's exercising more without me. 
which is something we used to do together, but now he says he'd rather do it during the morning instead of at night. He'll offer to go get dinner by himself instead of us walking together to pick it up. And most recently, I've been talking to him about planning a trip to Yosemite, which is one of his favorite places, but he was like, yeah, we'll see. I tried to ask him if something's wrong with us. He says no, but he doesn't get any deeper than that. How can I help him if he's going through depression and how can I know it's not because of me? Yeah, I mean, it, it possibly sounds depressive. I, I don't know for sure. Not necessarily. It definitely sounds like he's pulling away, again, either as a result of depression or a lack of interest or uh, something else is going on. So I don't want to diagnose what's going on for him as much as I want to just look at what's happening in your relationship. And he's absolutely pulling away in some form or more distant. So the first step is I'm glad you asked. You're going to maybe have to keep asking. Sometimes these are things we circle multiple times. You know, a lot of really powerful relational or mental health interventions aren't something we just do once and then we're good and we're done. Um, I don't know how available you've been in the past. I mean, that's always part of it too. Like, are we someone that's always been safe for them to go to? Um, how do we respond when they come to us with something difficult to hear? Are we reactive or do we weaponize it? Because if so, that's why he's not opening up. So start with yourself. How safe are you for him to go to? Because maybe it's an issue he has with you or the relationship, but he doesn't trust that you'll be calm, open and available to process it. So often we put it on them. Why aren't you coming to me? Well, again, are you a safe person to go to? I always say that to parents. Your kids lie to you and don't come to you or tell you things because of the way you respond when they do. So start there track yourself and if you haven't been great work on being great around other things it might this might be months long where you realize i want to be better and so now when he comes to me with other unrelated things i want to be really open really available really present starting to let him know that he can trust me that i'm different now so that's the first step focus on yourself change be more available Number two, keep asking him to participate in your life. Don't honor the distant. Don't shame, don't blame, don't force, but keep asking, hey, can we go get dinner? It would mean a lot to me. Keep giving him that opportunity, if it is depression, to maybe push through while depressed, right? So number one, start with yourself. Number two, keep making bids for his attention. And number three, <clears throat> keep trying to bring it up every couple months or every couple weeks. Hey, you still seem really distant. Is everything okay? Um, and that's kind of what you're at the mercy of. We can't make other people open up if they're not interested or open to. Uh, clearly something's going on with him. The best you can really do, though, is create a safe container for him to work through what he's working through. I don't know if he has a history of not feeling safe sharing things with others. I don't know if he has shame or guilt about whatever's going on. I don't know. So the best you can do is be a safe, grounded partner and don't panic. That's not going to make it better or worse. Keep living your life. You keep focusing on what brings you joy and pleasure. You keep focusing on your self-care and let, his, let him live his life alongside you. Sometimes our lives separate for a little bit and then they come back, hopefully. So give it more time. You said it's been, I think, two months. Okay, hang in there. You know, we have to go through phases six years in where maybe he needs a little more individualism or solitude, right? So honor what's going on while continuing to ask for what you need while not panicking and continuing to live your life and not letting yourself be thrown off while continuing to make sure <clears throat> that you present to someone who's available for difficult conversations. You know what I mean? Because again, we're inputting something in that system. But we're at the mercy of our partner's capacities, you know? And I'd say in a couple more months, if it's still that way, recommend or suggest couples therapy because that's a really great starting point. Um, but circle back and let us know how that goes. But you definitely have to give that some more time. I think it's definitely too soon to kind of panic. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about happiness. We got it wrong. <laughs> the goal isn't happiness. I'm going to tell you what the actual goal is. And the goal indirectly can get us to a place of more happiness. But we got it wrong. We got it backwards. And media definitely, definitely is part of the problem. You are listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com.
Alrighty, we're back and we're going to talk a little bit about sex. I realize I hadn't given any acknowledgement or discussion around sex tips. And I used to do that a lot on Loveline where I was constantly trying to weave in just new tips, thoughts, perspectives, challenge, challenge old ways of thinking. God, we got to, oof, so much to do. I see it in my office all the time. First off, remember, sex has no purpose and goal other than just to do what you do, meaning sex does not have to be about genitals. Sex does not have to be about orgasm. Sex does not have to be about penetration. There's so many different ways to be sexual, but some people back away from it or stop having it because they're not functioning the way they used to, knowing that a healthy aging body will mean we are not maybe lubricating at all or in the ways we used to. It will mean that our erections are not as easy, simple, or as robust. It will mean that sometimes there's a delay in orgasm or no orgasm ability at all. That is part of a healthy aging body. So we don't want to be panicking around those things. We want to be practicing all sorts of different kinds of sex. Sometimes outer course, where again, non-penetratively based, it's about touching the outer parts of our bodies. Sometimes it's things like mutual masturbation, using toys, watching porn together. Again, really, really, really challenging and expanding the definitions and expectations we have on ourselves, but also on others. A lot of people's quote unquote sexual dysfunctions turn out to be just sexual disappointments. And some of that anxiety or the issue is their partner not having a healthy understanding of what to expect. And I'll say this to people that are male identified. They, you know, actually everyone, I don't know why I just said that like that, to everyone, how often do you really in real time see what sex looks like for people? You don't. It's rare that you've seen people have sex in real time. It's rare that you've seen nude bodies, maybe at the gym, maybe. So that leaves you seeing it where? Well, porn. And again, those people are chosen for specific reasons. That's not what it normally looks like in terms of bodies or even functioning. They don't show the performers putting injections in their penis or taking pills to get and stay erect in the ways they want. So people assume that that's how everyone's functioning. No, there's a lot of aids that are used to make that happen. Also, they use people that have stamina and abilities that the regular people don't because they need to go for long periods of time. Also, again, aided by pills and injections. They also choose people that have certain kinds of bodies. They don't show mishaps. They don't show things going wrong. They don't show negotiation. They don't show discussions around safer sex practices. Some of them don't even show the use of safer sex practices. They don't show things like aftercare. What happens after you orgasm? The film and a porn, it just ends. And we're trained usually to feel really uncomfortable until we throw our clothes on. But in relationality, there's the ability to lay there longer, connect more, do other things, cuddle, right? So many things are kind of removed or cut out that we don't even see. And so porn shouldn't be given the expectation of being realistic. It's not supposed to be. It's film. It's art. It's film. Like all other art and film is not necessarily sought to be realistic. And that's why sex education has to be better. That's where it's supposed to happen, but that lets us down. But what are some other things we want to consider? Well, first off, also just slow down. And that's also tied to not pushing for a specific outcome or goal. If we slow down, we're more present with ourselves, our pleasure, communication, our boundaries, but just slow down. It would help everyone's nervous system. It would make our anxiety drop. It would lead us more towards that which we're trying to have, right? Also exploring more of our bodies, not just making sex with our hands and our mouths tied to just our genitals. Your Our whole body's an erogenous zone. Our entire body has the capacity to have pleasure. Um, even a non-erect penis can provide and has pleasure. Fully, that area feels great when stimulated in whatever capacity. It does not require an erection, right? But our whole body, but we tend to localize it to just these 
small areas, these small geographic areas that have what we see as our genitals. But our thighs, our feet, our stomachs, our backs, our shoulders, our arms, our necks, our faces, our hands, our feet, all have the capacity to give us pleasure when touched, when rubbed, when, when kissed, when licked, when having a vibrating mechanism placed upon them. But again, we don't think to expand outside of, and we keep going through what I call the same four-step. We kiss, we touch here, we touch there, and then we penetrate. It's like the four-step, bam, 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 every single time. So our mind couples start at different points, stop at different points. Don't always make it the same four steps, always ending in penetration and orgasm. There's, you know what I mean? Because as we age, like I said, in illness, mental health, medications, all sorts of factors will shift what we're able to do, even what we're desiring to do. And we want to have the fluidity and confidence within that, right? We, we're often so in our heads, thinking about what it's supposed to look like, tracking what it looks like, and just not fully in our bodies. Also, just pay attention to your breathing. Our breathing is one of the most powerful ways to ground ourselves, but also check in on how safe, confident, or comfortable we feel. Our breathing can soothe us, but also let us know that we need soothing if our breath is anxious or very superficial. And finally, vocalization. We don't talk enough, and I don't mean verbiage as much as just allowing our bodies to make sounds and for us to moan or to make whatever noises our body naturally wants to make. Instead, we usually freeze, constrict, hold, and tense up. It's quite fascinating, but doing that work on sex is is, an, is a way that extends outside of sex, right? Such an interesting entry point. All right, y'all, coming up next, though, we're going to talk about what some studies on happiness have told us. Stick around for that one. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we are talking about happiness, the ever elusive happiness. Talking more about this. We've talked about this, uh, I think, was it last week or the week before? I can't remember. But um, we're talking about what really leads to happiness. And so many powerful studies really speak to what we can expect. First one is about money. You know, there's a baseline. And once we get more money, our income raises, we adjust our spending traditionally around that, thereby landing us back exactly where we were. It's really fascinating. And also, wealth or an increase in finances, it has a very short-lived return in terms of the joy or happiness it provides, which is how all things are, right? In the beginning, very powerful, but slowly it weakens. We can also see that with food. Food's a really great example. The most exciting component of food is when we're on our way to eat. That anticipation is when the most dopamine is released. It's anticipatory. On our way to the ice cream parlors, when it's the most delicious, each successive bite it gets less delicious. It's less stimulating. The first bite is the best, the second less so. And by the end, we're not even really paying attention anymore. It has a diminishing return. And that's why we're always seeking newness and novelty with whatever the topic is. Because again, diminishing returns. Um, it gets habituated. Anything we get familiar with, even that quickly, has diminished returns. Like I said, dopamine, the most exciting piece is anticipation. It's leading up to, not the actual event. And then it starts to taper off. Um, and then we keep chasing it chasing that high, <laughs> you know what I mean, essentially, although it's not an addiction reference because there are two very separate things and I hate when people misuse it by saying, oh, it spikes dopamine, your addiction, please stop. That's a misunderstanding of how dopamine and addiction works. We'll talk about that in another show, but just throw that out there. I, I. Um, also, the studies show consistently that experiences, not possessions, are what lead to greater happiness. It's not what you own or what you buy, it's actually being out in the world. Um, so experiential purchases, 
maybe going on a trip, going to the, a theater, going to a gallery, going to movies, eating out are going to have an increased sense of wellness versus just purchasing something, right? Um, they satisfy more needs, but also what they call our higher needs. And that's ten, that tends to stick with us longer and have more meaning and value. And also, I love this one. And, and I've, I've prescribed this to clients, this, the gratitude list piece. You know, our brains are primed to, to negativity. And some people more so, but our brain seeks to protect ourselves. And so it will look for danger and it will focus more on negativity. Something, a negative experience is gonna be better logged into our brain. And uh, they happen quicker. And again, it's a productive mechanism. We know that if we wanna really build in the full extent of something that makes us happy, we need to sit there and savor it. Some say up to 10 seconds sit with a positive thought or positive experience and really savor it and integrate it and digest it for about 10 seconds to really register and log it where negative events, they are tracked and coded and held onto very, very quickly. And they're more easily retrievable where positive things, not so much. And again, that's an evolutionary protective mechanism neurologically. What a bummer <laughs> that it's harder to seek and hold on to happiness. Happiness is very quick and fleeting. And we spend a lot of our lives chasing it, which is why I remind people the work is contentment, being great with where you are and with what you have. That's the goal. And what really gives us happiness, as we talked about in another show, is, is doing things and building your life around what gives you purpose and meaning. If whatever you're doing with the bulk of your day doesn't have purpose or meaning tied to it, it's going to be why you're not finding yourself landing in happiness. And you got to figure that one out. And the work is about being content. How can I get more content? How can I find more meaning and value in what I'm doing with my time? You know what I mean? So that's powerful, but also gratitudeless, really meaningful to end your day, start your day, punctuate your day. Whenever you're having a rough moment, say, what are some things that I'm happy for? Again, that's not toxic positivity. It's not to deny the negative or the struggle, but it's also remind yourself that there's other happy, beneficial pieces that are occurring at the same time and maybe wanting to get more familiar with that. So it's not a bad idea to start your day that way, end your day that way, or even midday do that. Check in on yourself. Also, and I love this one too, smiling. Smiles have a huge impact. The more laughing, the more smiling you can do, the better your immune function, the better your mental health, right? It's such a good way and an easy way to improve your mood. And that can also help tie us back to more positive experiences and thoughts from the past as well. Um, really, really important. Also kindness. Love that one. Uh, study was conducted and students who performed kind acts experienced significantly higher increases in acceptance, but also happiness. Of course, it feels good when we do good right? And if your day isn't rooted in that, eh, and if your day is rooted against that, eh, so you got to work on that. Also movement, move your body. They use the word exercise. When I look at some of these studies, I use the word movement because exercise is very triggering and loaded for some people. And it makes people think it means weights or weight loss or the gym. Nope. Just got to move. You can dance, you can sing, you can hula hoop, you can roller skate, you can do jumping jacks. Just move your body every day, 30 minutes at least. Bam. You can do that walking, taking the stairs, move your body, find something fun that you enjoy. doesn't have to be stressful. You don't have to sweat. Just move. You can even tie it into getting outside more, move outside. But that is going to have a huge impact, again, on our mental health, but also on our happiness, right? And finally, ready for this one? When it does come to money, there is one way that money can really be beneficial and help us. But it's when we spend it on others. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because I already said to you earlier, our increase in money or the possessions that we purchase aren't going to have long-standing levels of happiness or mental health tied to them, right? Spending on others does. God bless it. 
<laughs> having another focus, <laughs> donating, right? Volunteering our time, that whole sense of giving, because that's what it's really about. Having reflected back that our time and, and our energy is really in pursuit of something meaningful, you know, kind of taking it forward. So those are some of the things to just examine. Do I have that built into my life? And if not, how can I? These little things are really powerful. I've done them in my own life and seen some really big shifts and also with the patients I work with. So check it out. Coming up next is a question of the night, which is as always up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So weigh in on that. And then uh, we'll be closing out the show with some DMs, which also come from the Loveline IG page. See how that works? There's a lot going on over there. But so if you have a question for me, slide on in there. That's where the questions come from. Love hearing from you guys. Um, whatever you're thinking of asking, other people are probably wondering the same thing, so drop it in there. But uh, yeah, we'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time for question of the night. Tonight's question was after the election and the wild year we've had, what are some things you're looking for? Emotionally from friends and partners that you weren't before. And this is interesting, right? Because we learned a whole of a lot <laughs> about people in our lives as a result of the election, whether they voted, who they voted for, how they showed up to different topics that were on the table around the election. And so again, some people already went through the difficult work of setting new boundaries, limiting access, uh, removing some people from their lives. And so yeah, the election and the pandemic has really brought a lot to the surface, but that's not a bad thing. Some of those things were probably under their festering anyway. Resentments built and uh, people were forced to maybe deal with them more head on. And so for those kinds of, in those kinds of moments, I'm thankful for that. Ignoring something doesn't make it go away, right? And uh, some relationships had to end and that's unfortunate, but Compatibility matters in terms of psychological and emotionality, in terms of social, but also in terms of ethics. Ethical compatibility is important. I personally can't have people in my life that don't value human life and value the things I value. That's, that directs all my behavior and my thoughts. And it doesn't feel safe to me be around people that don't have good ethics, you know? And so what a shift. Uh, so again, the question of the night is, what uh, after the election and the wild year we've had, what are some things you're looking for emotionally from friends and partners that before maybe you weren't, right? We're different people now. Lots changed. Hopefully we've grown. First person said having the same political views is way more important than it was before. And that is because politics was always infused in every area of our life, but now even more profoundly, more clearly, more impactfully, because the recent politics brought to the surface people's thoughts on human rights and human value. And we learned about people's homophobia or racism, all sorts of things, their misogyny. And it's like, we can't unknow that. We can't, un we can't unsee that. So that's a really big deal. So I really much value that. Again, question of the night is, what are you looking for emotionally from friends and partners that you weren't before? How have your standards changed? How have your deal breakers changed? What expectations do you mandate now? How do you now encounter compatibility in a way that you didn't before? Somebody else said, uh, I need someone who wants to travel. Love that. We got so much time taken from us now. Traveling is so important. And that's what we talk about, like social compatibility. And maybe your partner doesn't want to travel. So that's why we have friends. Go travel with a friend. Sometimes it's really beautiful. Call up your best friend or your family member and go travel with them or with your partner. But things like that don't necessarily have to be a deal breaker, you know, or maybe it is depending on how long and where. Some people, that's what they bond over and others, they go do outdoor travel things with friends because their partner doesn't and that can be okay. 
you have to really decide what role that has to play. But I appreciate that. A lot of people are like, look, we've been home. <laughs> I need to get out and see the world. And people also, also have a different perspective on how they want to spend their time and their money. So I appreciate that. Again, tonight's question of the night is, after the election and the year we've had, what are some things you're looking for emotionally from friends and partners that maybe you weren't before? Someone said, can't have anyone in my circle supporting Trump, period. Yep, <clears throat> I'm with that as well. Bam, gone. Sorry, can't. Just not going to work. Ethics aren't there. The, the social justice values aren't there. I can't. I appreciate that. Someone else said, someone who's not lazy. This quarantine really showed me who is lazy and who still wants to work. What kind of work do you mean? Like political work? Because um, in terms of a capitalism, I want people to rest more. I don't want people to be working hard. Don't value that. Value joy, pleasure, rest, socialization. I want people to rest more and work less. So I don't use the word lazy. I think that that unfortunately means I think someone's worth or value is tied to how productive they are or what they can purchase. And that's really dehumanizing. And so I personally try to um, back people off of that and move them away from that. But hey, that's up to you. <clears throat> Someone else said, definitely need a girl who can cook. I ordered way too much food the last few months. Ooh, <laughs> you're stepping into something with that a little bit. Um, why don't you cook? <laughs> it's always funny. I mean, great. Find someone who loves to cook and then you'll both be happy. But like, maybe they don't. And then you'll have to be the person. You know what I mean? Sometimes if we have to create the world we want. And if you want more home-cooked meals, you might need to be the one that does it. Or maybe do it with them. Wouldn't that be a cute date night? Go shopping together, cook together. Or maybe at least be with them when they're cooking. Like, that's a beautiful example of where we can turn something that maybe you don't enjoy into something you do because of your partner's presence or the way you cook together. Playing music, putting something on in the background, laughing, you know, sharing recipes. It can be a really adorable and endearing thing to do. So really sit with that, right? We want to make sure we don't make the smallest um, things deal breakers. You know, you always have to look at like in the scheme of things, what to me is most meaningful and what's not and where can I bend and where can I? We're allowed to have our deal breakers, but there does have to be a space of compromise and compromise means being let down or disappointed. Compromise doesn't mean everyone's happy. It often is the opposite. Compromise means we want this to work and so something that's not a deal breaker, I'm willing to be a little let down or disappointed or frustrated in order for this to continue. So that's why I say maybe you need to cook sometimes or maybe you need to be involved in the cooking or maybe you go purchase everything and they cook. I don't know. You're going to have to figure that out. But um, all right, y'all, we'll be back in two minutes with the two-minute promise. Question of the night for tomorrow is already up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So weigh in on that. And uh, you want to check out some past episodes of Loveline, you can go to wearechannelq.com. But coming up next, as always, we're going to slide into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trader Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, <clears throat> I'm kind of in a tough situation right now. And I'm sure it's pretty common, but I just don't know what to do. I'm from Atlanta, and so is my partner, G. G and I both voted for Biden. Boop, boop, well done. And we got everyone else out of our lives that didn't. I know it sounds harsh when someone says it like that, but like, I, uh, we can't have racist, homophobe bigots in our lives. You know what I mean? Like we want, it just doesn't work well. It shows up in so many different things. We've talked about this a lot. You know what I mean? Our politics is tied to our ethics these days. It's just, it's just a big deal. Um, except his dad. <laughs> his dad supports Trump. His mom isn't around anymore but his dad said that she would have supported Trump as well. Well, we don't know that. 
My boyfriend wants me to go over to his house on weekends and act like nothing is wrong, but I just can't. So I haven't been there in months. Stad keeps asking about me and even reached out to see if I'm okay, but I was just short because I didn't know how to tell him I can't stand anyone that votes for Trump. Do I need to break up with my boyfriend? I don't know what to do. It's so awkward. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. This is difficult and wow, the stakes are high. You're like, I might just dump them all. You know, there's no easy answer to this, truly, because, you know, look, I, my mother has friends that are Trump supporters and it broke her heart. She's choosing to navigate around it because for her, she doesn't want to lose her friends for a multitude of reasons. You know, I lost my father. She's a, a single woman by herself, very isolated. And these relationships are important to her because these people offer a lot to her outside of that. And so they just don't talk about those pieces. Um, that's up to you. You know, and I appreciate those that made it a hardline thing. I was hardline in some, with some people in my life as well. And then others, it's interesting. It's hard. It's not simple. So I don't know that you need to break up with him because what you're essentially saying is, I'm going to break up with him because I can't face the discomfort of distance with me and his dad. You got to learn how to deal with that discomfort. I don't want you to get the theory that if there's some complexity in dating someone, I just get rid of the person because there's always going to be something. Your next relationship, it might not be the dad voting for Trump. It might be the person's addiction that they're not willing to work on. So then you get out of that. And then the next one has some emotional abuse. So you get out of that. Like, you know, when you find someone great, you learn how to do the work, right? Um, you got to stick around. So um, first off, it might be on your partner to talk to his dad and say, listen, dad, you openly support Trump. And the racism and homophobia that comes with that makes so-and-so uncomfortable. And that's why they don't want to come around. Um, if you don't want a relationship with this person's dad, then you don't need to be responding to their dad. It's your partner's job to do that then because they have a relationship with their dad still and they choose to still have one. So then they get to manage that relationship. You don't have to answer for yourself. You only have to answer for yourself to people that you want to still have in your life. And then you do have what we call a one-to-one -one relationship where you speak for yourself. But if you don't want a relationship with them, it can be what we call triangulated where you speak to them through someone else because you don't want a relationship. And so it's on your partner. So unfortunately, your partner has to figure out how to explain to their dad that they're choosing to have in their life why you don't want to be around them because you think his ethics stink. You know, so there you go. Offload it. I don't think you dump your partner, though. And if your partner doesn't want to explain that to his dad, well, then he'll have to anyway, because his dad's going to keep asking when he sees him where you are. And I don't think there's anything wrong in saying that, that his politics express some basic lack of human rights awareness that is not feeling safe or good to you because of who you are or other people that you love are in the world. So there's that. But it's difficult. There's no clear answer. I, I don't have this solid answer. It's something we manage. It's something we work around. And it may be, and you know, again, let the dad have an opportunity to speak for himself. Maybe he'll have something magical to say that will somehow make it make more sense. He might be a one-issue voter, and he really wasn't aware of all the other factors because some people are getting their news from sources that aren't pointing out some of the problems in the Trump campaign and administration. And there's some people that are godsmacked when you tell them how they were rolling back LGBTQIA rights, how they were anti-trans, how they were racist. And they might step up and be like, wow, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. So I want to give this human being a space to at least explain their thinking. You know what I mean? So at least have your boyfriend or a girlfriend, I don't know who it was, your partner, talk to the father and let him explain himself. He's the cause of this. Let him explain himself, you know? But it's tough, man. I'm telling you, there is no easy solution. I'm with you on all that. All right, y'all, that is our show. Our question of the night is up for tomorrow's show on our Loveline IG page, so weigh in on that. And uh, tomorrow we got a great show planned for you. One of the important things is we're going to talk about attachment. I know it's an important concept to understand when we're trying to date, get into a relationship, but also when we're trying to do with some of our relational struggles. So y'all have an awesome rest of your night. And as always, thanks for hanging out.